Welcome to Under Control. I'm your host, Paul Bartlett, and on today's episode, we will have Gus Hunt, former CIA executive. Gus spent a good part of his career with the CIA as former CTO and then worked with Accenture as Managing Director for Federal Services Cybersecurity. We will talk about what it is exactly that intelligence agencies do not know about the public. Can you really be off the grid? Also, we will discuss the potential downsides of a backdoor on encrypted services. Hey Gus, welcome to the show. Hey Paul, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, good to see you. And as we mentioned just before we started going, I just see all those wonderful pictures on your wall about where you've been around the world. It's uh, kind of making us uh, feel a little bit uh, a bit of travel sick, as it were. Not homesick, but travel sick. Yeah, uh, hopefully we'll get to do it again soon. So. That's uh, indeed. We want to be able to get that uh, get that travel out there again. So, um, Gus, it's just... Uh, You've got a fascinating story and background. I took some opportunities to look into how you started off your career. Um, one of the things that's close to my heart is this you know, fascination with space, and I know that you've got also yeah. some affiliation with that in your early years. I've been talking to my son about that quite a lot, about the future is bright because you know we're going to go off this planet and we're going to do wonderful things out in space. So how could you just maybe just give us a little introduction about yourself and about uh, your career? Sure. Yeah, no, and I'm happy to do so. Yeah, so as you mentioned, um, you know, I started uh, my uh, my uh, uh, career back in 1979, working for uh, Rockwell International in their shuttle orbiter division. Uh, you know, so my my first real job, full full time real job out of out of out of grad school was uh, was to uh, was to work there uh, and it's always kind of been a passion of mine I grew up uh, through the 60s right when uh, with uh, you know you know Kennedy's uh, you know a race to the moon and his speeches and things like that and rousing and and it had a big effect on me as a child growing up maybe want to be an engineer maybe want to learn the sciences you know it really you know when we think about stem today, uh, impetus is like uh, you know the uh, you know the uh, Apollo program and things like that really get people excited about what's going on and, and so one of the great things that I think space and space exploration has always done is ignite imaginations and then this it, igniting the imagination in young people tends to stick with them throughout their lives um, and so that's uh, so you know so that's how I got started right and did a work in space. Um, uh, mostly started in manned spaceflight systems and then moved over to satellites and orbital transfer vehicles and all those things like that, um, you know, along the way, uh, working in the, on, the, on the space side of the business. Uh, you know, the um, uh, space itself uh, is, as you know, the uh, being viewed as kind of the new high ground, right, uh, you, know, you know, across the globe. Uh, and, and it is such an essential thing for us to be able to have, uh, be able to leverage and, and, uh, and take advantage of for many things, right? So think of global positioning satellites and while they may have started as a military technology today, they are essential to the goods and services across the globe, right? The airlines fly with them, farmers plant with them, you know, we, we track, uh, you know, animal herds with them, right? And so as these technologies take root, then they become part of our overall economic and cultural and uh, and whatnot framework uh, through the good of many 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 people. And that's that's I think is the, we're looking at space as we go to the future. Those are the things that I get excited about and uh, and we'll see uh, happening yet again with this new resurgence now through all the commercial launch systems and satellite builders and things like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, and where did you graduate from? What was did you? Graduate uh, so I went with? to Vanderbilt University. Right. I graduated there in 1979 with my right. master's in in uh, civil structural engineering. Right. Okay, and then your yeah. career took uh, took another direction completely, and and you got involved. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I uh, I I went to uh, started working for CIA in 1985, and I started uh-huh. there as an as an analyst. Uh, and then uh, worked uh, worked uh, on a variety of uh, issues, everything from, um, in fact, I went back to do work in space systems, right? right. That was there, uh, worked uh, counterterrorism, counterproliferation, um, and, uh, and uh, you know, and those things. And then uh, moved over to the technology side of the house uh, to help build and modernize, uh, you know, the technology base that, that we operate from, much as all companies need to modernize their technology base. 
And uh, that ultimately led to my becoming a chief technology officer, where fundamentally brought in, uh, you know, the cloud, uh, uh, you know, brought in the cloud, uh, brought in, uh, you know, AI at scale with uh, with IBM Watson, and uh, you know those things like that. So it uh, it was a terrific place to work. Uh, lots of energy, lots of creativity, lots of uh, lots of opportunity. So you know, I didn't plan to be there 28 years, but. When I look back on it, it was like over in a flash. So yeah, don't you scare me when you when you say that? I feel that's yeah. partly happening yeah. to me as well. Is that time starting yeah. to creep up on me? So, yeah. I mean, what was just curiously before we move on to the other questions? Just, yeah, what got you into the CIA? I mean, you're already in such a fascinating field already. And what was the draw for the CIA? Because it was kind of the edge of what you were doing. It was another step forward that draw you into that. <laughs> Um, I think that's probably a good way to describe it. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I it was a. Um, uh, I, I I had an opportunity to do an interview, and then talking with the people there, I said, "Wow, this is this is just absolutely fascinating, and the work that they're doing." And I've always been uh, been uh, very much uh, you know interested, worked the national security aspects of the stuff, with even the space business and things like that. So, so it it really it really played to what I want to be able to do, but also just the number of opportunities that were there and, and the, as I said, the, uh, uh, the, oppor- the opportunity plays and the creativity and the opportunity to do something, you know, uh, uh, you know, that, uh, that could really make a difference uh, all, uh, all played well with me. So. Yeah. Yeah. And as we were saying just a bit earlier on, I mean, this is all around um, a time when, Obviously, the governments were investing in in the space race, right? So right. that's probably there was a lot of money, and now it's very much turned to tails. We were just saying that earlier. So um, before we move on to other things, let's just stick with the space topic for a minute because okay. I think that's sure. quite fascinating. Is that back then? Of course, yeah, satellites. There was a space race going on, and then we mm-hmm. saw some some different difficulties. We'll see that NASA went through. Um, I also remember that in my time with Challenger yeah. and things. Um, what do you think about things now? I mean, do you still have that enthusiasm and excitement for for space? And and do you see major advances now in the commercialization of space to what it was back then? So I, I so uh, you know, just a couple of things. Interesting, you mentioned the NASA Challenger. I was at Rockwell when the first space shuttle went up, and right. watched the last space shuttle go up here a few years ago. You know, so I've been through the whole cycle of that. But when you look at space, uh, I think space is evolving the way that uh, the rest of uh, uh, you know lagging behind a bit, but evolving the rest of the way that I think the. Um, Technology evolve in the rest of the commercial space, right? So, uh, you know, as as we we had mentioned earlier, uh, you know, it, in the '60s, the government ran everything, right? And and technology was driven by government, because right? uh, the uh, the cost of investing and driving these things forward, uh, you know, was was really a government thing. And the '70s and into the early '80s, it was a big business thing, right? And so, big business driver. And starting in the in the late '80s into the '90s and into today, it really is driven by the commercial space and the innovations that have evolved there have been have been absolutely legendary, and that opportunity space that opportunity play I think is what's emerging in the space business, which is which is the ability for others to think extraordinarily creatively about how what what capabilities could be delivered that space can deliver better than we can deliver them terrestrially, uh, you know how do we begin to apply the technologies and the innovations that are are or on our trustful environment and move them into space. Just simply look at computing, right? Back when I started at Rockwell International, right, working on the shuttle program, you know, the, the, the most advanced computer, I don't know if, I don't know how old you are probably, but the <laughs> most advanced computer was, was, a, was a, there was Z80s. I don't remember All the right. Z80 could be processor. And then we got the Motorola 6800, you know. And now today, look at where we are and look at how much capacity you can cram into a very small package. And so that's why you're seeing microsats and small sats taking over in the environment and things like that, because you can make them do things and clusters them can do, can cover the world much more effectively, uh, other things like that than they could do before. So, so all this, I think, is at a nascent bud, uh, mm. nascent uh, point where uh, the application of, of uh, commercial innovation and ideas is now, you know, it's not just the government moving this. This is, this is the commercial world can now think about how to do things in a new and different way. And, and once you can move technology to the hands of a much broader group of people, innovation just grows explosively. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, that's certainly, the, I think, the case, what we're seeing with the likes of uh, SpaceX and I yeah, think Blue absolutely. Horizon and, and yeah. uh, Virgin Galactic yeah. as well, is that you know, we're literally on on the cusp or on the fringe of sending yeah. people more people into space as space tourism, yeah. right? Because yeah. we've made it cheaper. Well, you know, you know, it's, uh, what excites me is, you know, sending people in space is cool, and there are things that people can, and only people can do in space. But I think the real explosion is going to be in, 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 in similar to automation as is happening here, right? right? Uh, that's occurring where, where, uh, where uh, we, we can get um, uh, technology and and and, uh, and intelligence into space, and then and then be have it take advantage of things. So, don't get, humans are exciting into space, and and that's always going to be true. And perhaps colonization of the moon or Mars, wherever it's going to be, is great. But uh, but the groundwork is going to be laid, I think, through uh, intelligence and, and automation, much like you're seeing in in the in the other aspects of what's going on in social media and the cloud and, and yeah. AI and those things like that. So yeah, yeah. So um, on that note, then let's come back down to Earth <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we get carried away yeah. in the space race and. and um, um, and a little bit closer to home, and, and of course, one of the things around the CI always fascinating is is the amount of data that the that you you collect, the, the things that go on, and we've all been um, mesmerized by Hollywood and sometimes you know, <laughs> romanced by about what the CIA does. But you know, the reality yeah. of it is probably very very different. But yeah. one of the questions I, I wanted to ask you was. Um, um, is that with today's technology out there where we're just all on our phones, we're all connected some way or another, I mean, is there still a need um, to go further? To, 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 are there people that are basically still on the grid or off the grid, um, you know, for tracking people? I, mean, mm. I, know, I remember in the, in the late 2000s after Osama bin Laden, you know, drones became very much more um into the mainstream media about what yeah. they were doing and how they were tracking that because basically these people were untraceable or untrackable. So what's your perspective now on, on the kind of technologies that you see? And we see, of course, a, a, a tsunami of social media platforms and, and news and fake news and things like that. So maybe you can just give me a little perspective about, about what you're seeing and, and what you think about that. What's been happening and and uh, is the amount of information that is being shared by everybody or all around the planet, I'm not sure people really actually grasp uh, what what actually has happened here in, in the space. So when, when you look at the, as you mentioned, the social media platforms, okay, and, and, uh, and what people are willing to share on that, when you go to the grocery store and you use your discount card, right, and all that data gets collected, the fact that your credit card company knows more about you than you most people even realize, right, which is the fact that, that not only do they know what you've done, but they know what you're going to do, because if you buy an airline ticket or a red, you know, hotel, car reservation, things like that, right? Uh, if you drive on the highway, right, uh, uh, the toll roads, right, uh, they know where you are. And just simply carrying a cell phone, because cell phones have, you know, the uh, particularly here uh, in the U.S., this mandatory E911, which allows them to find you in a case of emergency, right? So, so it's very difficult using any form of technology today to be truly off the grid. If you're going to be off the grid, you have to move to Alaska, move to um, Siberia, move to something, right? Uh, you know, have your own well, your own power. You can't buy power from anybody else. You can, you know, you can't buy water, you can't buy power. You got to produce all of your own that. You've got to have your own, uh, you know, hunting. You got to pay everything in cash. And even then, it's probably not, you know, 100% capable of being truly, you know, off the grid. I, you know, I, a lot of people, We'll try to do that, but it's just increasingly difficult to do. And like everything else in society, this is a double-edged sword, right? So, so the ability for um, uh, you know the uh, businesses to actually begin to tailor things that meet your specific needs is one of the one of the big goals that they have with all this data, right? So they can say, what does Paul need? What does he want? How can we help you know Paul? Now, granted, help meaning sell you something, but yeah. still, you know, <laughs> you'd rather have you'd rather have something that meets your needs than having to figure out you know get something that only partially gets you there, right, or something along those lines. So, so the objectives I think are 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 really really good if you really think about it and can be extraordinarily beneficial from everything from providing you effective health services, uh, right? Uh, uh, more, you know, effective, um, uh, just, you know, effective services across the board, if you will. Um, you know, that's great. Okay. But the, the dark side of this, of course, is that 
people steal this information and they use it in nefarious ways to take advantage of you, to steal your identity, to do what you know. And that's just the, that's the dual edge nature of what we have. And the most important thing I think for people to realize is to think about what information they have out there. Do you really, do I really need to post everything I do on my social media account page? Right. Okay. Or should I show a little um, restraint sometimes to make sure that I've thought about these things as opposed to just you know rapidly tossing it all out there, those sorts of things. Uh, because it's not necessarily in your interest um, uh, to, to share absolutely everything in your life with anybody and everybody that wants to get on and take a look at your page uh, you know, and things like that. So, so, so that's the problem, I think. And, and, and so the advantages are no, are terrific, uh, but not understanding what you're sharing uh, uh, is there. And I think there's a real key responsibility for us as a society and us as citizens in our society to have, uh, to understand what it means to share information and our information uh, so that we have thought about it, right? And this is something that you have to teach kids in school starting from the earliest days. And it's something that I talk to my kids about, about, you know, don't post, you know, don't go out and post something really dumb <laughs> out there because the, the internet's the elephant that never forgets, right? It, 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 you know, once it's out there, it's out there forever. And even under GDPR and, and the, the, the right to be forgotten, you know, as people talk about, how, how sure are you that that's been forgotten, right? And where is it? And how far did it spread beyond, you know, mm -hmm. so while the, the social media platform may have deleted it, if somebody else has already downloaded it to their personal computer at home, mm -hmm. you know, what do you do about that, right? Yeah. So it's out of your control. So those are the types of things that, that we do. And I think we have to teach this. And I think people need to think about it. So as much as they get taught, you know, to look both ways across the street, uh, we need to teach them to look both yeah. ways before they post, yeah. uh, you know, information out. Okay. Yeah. Understood. And I think, um, I mean, with your background for the Central Intelligence yeah. Agency, um, that's an organization that feeds off of intelligence, tries to gather as much intelligence as possible uh, about users. And it's probably become a lot easier these these days, especially, you know, going through yeah. the 2000s after September the 11th attacks, you know, the amount of information that we could gather from these different, let's say, um, malicious organizations um, like ISIL and, uh, and Al-Qaeda. Um, but to a certain extent, they were using encrypted services or trying to go under the radar mm -hmm. and, and making it obviously very difficult to, to track them down. Um, but I just wanted to understand from your perspective, without obviously going too much into yeah. the, to the actual methods of what the CIA do, but everybody's always looking for patterns, and that's a commercial aspect of now. Yeah. A, com a pattern of right. usage or a pattern of behavior mm -hmm. which you're leaving a digital trail at, right? And yeah. I think right. this is something that's happening now. Um is you know is it, I mean is, is is that something that you just see where yeah it was a practice within your organisation but now everybody's kind of capitalising it for their own commercial gain on top of that in companies. So I, I would say that that in, in two things in general one is that um, I think there's a pretty profound misunderstanding about what intelligence mm -hmm. can uh, uh, and does do and here in the US at least. Uh, there are some really very, very uh, strict laws about what information is allowed to be collected and and not, right? So, so those are strictly followed across the board. And there's no general giant vacuum cleaner out there that that's uh, that's that's going after uh, you know all these things, despite all the movies and everything yeah. else that you see that's going you know, that's there. But but the overall objectives has has is is remained unchanged since these organizations you know were were founded, right? Which is that the objective is how do you look after the equity of art of national security uh, and how do you ensure that you understand what's happening in the world so that you basically it's it's uh, whether it's a national security intelligence or it's business intelligence your objective is to understand what your competitors what your adversaries even what your partners are 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 doing and engaged in so that you can take appropriate steps that, uh, that are meaningful and matter and, and, uh, and address issues before they actually become a crisis would really be the goal as opposed to having to deal with the, you know, getting what, 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 what we, what the DOD says, get way left of bang. Right. So if I can stop things from happening, uh, before they become a, you know, a, a you know, a shooting war or anything else like that, that's really is the objective. So what's happening? Why is it happening? Understanding these things and who's involved, the people. So you're right. It's all about patterns, but 
the objective is to really make sure that 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 these things are are uh, are understood and uh, and we can uh, deal with them in an effective manner. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the things that I probably disrupts that flow when you think about that, um, and it was a big, let's say, very much in the press last year, a big thing around the separation of the EU or the EU-US ruling of the invalidation Mm -hmm. of the privacy shield. Um, Yeah. So what was your perspective on that? Um, Be keen to get that uh, insight from you. uh, Yeah. Well, so as, as, as I understand it, okay, mm-hmm. that um, it, the privacy shield was, was invalidated as a result of the fact that the EU, the court felt that um, uh, under U.S. Uh, policies and law, that law enforcement and national security uh, had, uh, I'll use the word, uh, too much access to data without sufficient control, right? That was, that was one. And that then second, that, that there was no uh, ability to have a recourse if somebody felt that that had happened to them, right? Because one of the rules of the privacy shield, privacy shield was to have, uh, have, you had to have ability to have recourse uh, to address your concerns, your grievances, or whatever it's going to be. And those were the two issues that came out. Um, I, I don't know how that's going to get resolved, right? Because uh, I don't see uh, the current uh, policies around national security changing very much, uh, but there may be mechanisms by which um, uh, you can uh, provide additional assurances uh, on top of these things that uh, that could help meet the needs uh, in order for uh, commercial business in particular to be able to share information between their European operations and their yeah. U.S. operations or wherever it's going to be, right? Because that was really the objective of the privacy shield was this ability for business to uh, these um, multinational businesses to be able to uh, integrate their information stuff so that they could be a more effective, uh, you know, uh, player in the market space, right? That, that, that's my understanding of, you know, what the privacy shield was about. Um, and, and so I think that what will have to happen is, is that, is that the U S department of commerce who leads this uh, and the European courts are going to have to sit down and say what would be an effective set of uh, additional protections that could be added on top that would make sense uh, for us to be able to move back and, and reestablish the privacy shield as an effective mechanism to, uh, to meet the obligations uh, of, of the European Union, European citizens and European law. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you, on, on that point, do you think that uh, the U.S. needs something like GDPR as a, on a federal level, rather than, because there's a lot of protection oh, on state absolutely. levels? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And they're all different. Uh, I, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's the point. The yeah. last thing we need are 51, 52, you know, if yeah. you include D.C. and Puerto Rico, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So 52 different privacy laws all operating within the confines of the United States. Uh, that, that would be a I think that would be an unmitigated disaster. Yeah. Uh, here, uh, nobody could operate a business effectively that way. Uh, so yes, and so I think the good thing about the California action and the others that are going in place is that that's going to drive that to occur here. Uh, and I think I think that forms a good basis. I also think the GDPR forms a very interesting basis for them to take a look at, uh, you know, uh, you know how you know how these laws can work and how to make them effective uh, within the environment. Uh, here in, in the U.S. and uh, I think eventually you'll see it. I don't. I'm not going to say it's going to happen this year or next year, but I think within five years at a, at the most you'll see. I'm hoping in less than three yeah. you'll see some form of a U.S. national, uh, you know, privacy protection, uh, you know, act uh, come into fruition. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just recall that when that kind of took place and it was it, it was the ruling had passed, then suddenly there were some changes about accessing US companies web pages and yeah. there was a restriction I was like we cannot let you access it um so even for for the customer at the end of the day it was mostly online like myself and most people mm-hmm. you know be able to access certain uh, web pages was no longer available to them um you know in the long term it can be detrimental um so sticking with like with the with what we just said around GDPR yeah. um uh, and w- what's going on in the US with regards to different laws I mean we've seen this 230 bill coming through and we've seen the likes of Mark Zuckerberg being dragged in front of the Senate and yeah. you know talking about these things but there's there's like an, there's another bill 
um, last year, which was kind of covertly going on and kind of overshadowed by everything else, which is the bill for access to um, like a backdoor access mm-hmm. um, brought in. How do you feel about about that? I mean, because you advise businesses uh, yeah. as well as being part on the government side, so you can probably see two two aspects. It's a double edged sword again, but you can see it from both sides. You know why law yeah. enforcement and national security need it, but also why businesses need and individuals need to be protected. So, what do you think about the uh, the law? I'll just well, I, it's, it's lawful access to encrypted data act. That's yeah, well, flash, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, by the way, I, I don't know if you remember, but this is the second round of this in the right. U.S. There, there was a bill yeah. back in the was it early '90s, I guess it was early mid '90s, where they were trying to enforce uh, a uh, what, what was it called? It was called the uh, the V, not the V chip. That's the TV thing. What uh, it was called the cl- uh, not the clipper. Was it the, anyhow? But I can't <laughs> senior yeah. moment. Sorry about that. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> but they, they were trying to enforce a single encryption standard chip across all the U.S. that had a backdoor in it so that they could make sure that uh, that law enforcement had appropriate access to information. And that failed back then as well, too. So so I'll start off by saying that, yes, I see both sides. I understand the concerns, particularly on the law enforcement side and things like that. But I will also tell you that that I think uh, putting a backdoor and mandatory backdoor into encryption is not a good idea. I I just um, this technology is out of the bag. And any well-resourced um, uh, you know, criminal network, you know, adversary, wherever it's going to be, uh, knowing that the uh, ex- U.S. systems that have these things in it are all—they're just going to go find an alternative, right? Which doesn't have a backdoor in it, or, or you know, putatively doesn't have a backdoor in it. Um, and and so what happens is is that then the backdoor actually becomes then in, in my book a weakness that could potentially be exploited to the detriment of of business and law abiding citizens and things like that right who need encryption to protect themselves they need encryption strong encryption to protect the data right going back to our discussion on the privacy shield right so you know the, the fascinating thing about 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 you know the uh, uh, you know sharing data of course is or, or storing data is that if it's encrypted it doesn't really matter where it's stored because it's what matters is where it's processed, right? Because it, when it's encrypted, it's just white noise. And so, so those the ability to do that with confidence, I think, will, will bring things along, uh, and maybe address some of the issues you know that we were just talking about previously. Uh, but inserting a mandatory backdoor, who controls it? Who has access to it? How do they get access to it? What's the court processes? I mean, there's a whole lot of issues here that that are just they're just not known. And then, what happens if the key manages to get leaked someplace. Okay. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so there's just a bunch of issues around putting in a backdoor that just in my book, just don't make a sufficient sense. I think it, I think given that encryption is ubiquitously available on a global scale, it's, it's not a technology that is solely controlled within the United States, the United States borders that, uh, that, that we're going to have to look for alternative mechanisms to ensure that law enforcement and, and others mm-hmm. can get their jobs done effectively. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just thought about that today. Um, I think it was either this morning or yesterday. I've just seen the biggest, one of the biggest mafia trials in history going ahead yeah. now in Italy. And, and I'm sure that was a campaign to collect as much information as possible. And yet, you know, as we mentioned before, the encryption's been around, well, forever. Well, since Roman forever, times, yeah, actually. But, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but they've still managed, they feel that they still collected enough evidence from the sources yeah. that they have and the information right. they have to, you know, we're still with encryption in place to yep. to make a prosecution. Yeah. Um, so, you know, is the, the case for encryption, especially with this case that's going ahead in the US right now, um, is still really valid. And it, it's good because we're advocates of encryption, but it's good to see yeah. both perspectives of that. I mean, we understand why law enforcement needs, you know, better, more information, more, more better information with some of the hideous crimes that have happened. Um, but it, it is a double-edged sword where you potentially open that up for also those uh, malicious actors to take advantage yeah. of that as well. Right, exactly, and then and then the, just imagine, of course, the complexity. If you're a business, let's see, in this country, I can use this encryption, which doesn't have a backdoor, but over here, I have to have a backdoor over here. I have a different 
encryption that I have to use in a third country over here. It has a backdoor, but it's a different model. Different. So uh, all this is really, I think, weakens the overall ability for us to protect data and protect our citizens really effectively from malicious, uh, you know, use and things like that. So it's I, I just don't see uh, I, I just don't see uh, that a, a, the backdoor itself is a good idea. But I do strongly uh, support uh, uh, doing additional investments and things like that. Right. And then finally, as you know, you know, assuming quantum computing uh, <laughs> it takes off, right? Uh, you know that that. The ability for encryption, uh, you know, standard traditional encryption to remain valid, you know, as people are beginning to already worry about that. And while we will have uh, 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 quantum encryption algorithms that quantum computers can't break in any form of real time, they already exist now, right? You know, type of thing. Uh, the fact is, is you know, making those transitions and getting that stuff pulled together. And how do you put a backdoor into a quantum algorithm? Can you put a backdoor into a quantum algorithm? Interesting question. I don't know the answer to it. You know, type of thing. So, so the technology itself is racing along. It is not. It, it, if if it was a technology that was solely the purview of the United States, yeah, maybe they could make something work effectively here. Mm -hmm. But when you have a global access to technology like uh, uh, technology like encryption, that in fact, almost any grad student in uh, mm -hmm. in cybersecurity or mathematics can write their own encryption software, right? Uh, well, yeah. What do you do, right? You know, yeah. and so. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's just, you know, great idea for, you know, I understand, but let's, let's look for alternatives. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. It's good to hear you say that. I, I just wanted to jump back um, as we talk about encryption and we're a cloud service, which is the fully end to end in, uh, cloud service mm -hmm. encryption, not here to plug it, of course, but, <laughs> um, but you mentioned uh, when we were chatting earlier that you were responsible for, for introducing the cloud uh, into the central intelligence agency and making that shift in, um, maybe you can do, you know, obviously tell us what you can tell us about about the decision to do that. Um, what were the benefits of that? Because obviously, ongoing all the time, some of the conversations that I have with customers is that uh, can they really, even still today, can they really trust cloud? Can they really trust yeah. putting their information with a third party provider? Is you know, are we going to get the levels of service that we need? Is it not going to go missing? Are you yeah, not going to turn right. the service off? All of those questions are valid, but what's your feeling and experience and insight with that? Yeah. Well, so all those questions you just asked are also questions they need to ask if they're in their own data mm. center. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and so the, so the advantage of the cloud was uh, the, you know there are a couple of things. One was is that uh, is that um, uh, the cost of running your own systems and the ability to um, react effectively to global events, okay, is highly constrained in your own infrastructure environment, right? So one of the one of the beauties of the cloud was the fact that that if I need capacity on demand, that was one of the goals. Yeah. I can scale up and scale down and only pay for what I use at the moment in time, right? So I can I I have now on demand processing that allows me to to effectively deal with and react to something that's happening in the world. Okay. That that was one. Two was the fact that the velocity of innovation within the cloud environment is just extraordinary. And, and it's really important for companies to understand how can they really take advantage of that. And as you know, the uh, and with and the, as the cloud has matured, the ability for people just to use those services and 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 uh, and bring them to bear is almost instantaneous today, right? I don't have to have whole teams of of uh, of uh, uh, you know software writers recoding me yet my own you know big data analytics platform. I can just leverage the big data analytics platform that's there. Okay. Third, I think the uh, uh, in looking at the cloud, they have an ex they. To them, security is an extraordinarily important um, uh, capability uh, because simply a, uh, uh, if they were to have any form of a breach or data loss, which was a result of something that was systemic throughout their entire environment, right? So in other words, somebody could get in underneath the control plane and come up and attack anybody anywhere and steal their data, things like that. That would be an existential, you know, end of business event uh, for, for a lot of these folks, right? People would just flee like mad, you know, to get off there. So they focus extraordinarily on it and their security practices uh, from our analysis, when I was looking at it, are, were really, really, really good. And they continue to be excellent and better and they invest enormously to avoid an event like like we just described. I'm not saying it can't possibly happen, but 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 it's there, right? And then finally, the fear over your data, uh, 
what most people don't realize is that in the cloud, you have control of your data, right? You encrypt it, you hang on to the keys, you don't, you know, don't, uh, you hang on to your own, you know, HSMs and, and, and just make sure that you control your data. And then finally, the cloud is not the be all end all answer, right? It's always going to be some form of a hybrid model. And if there are things that are so super sensitive that you're uncomfortable putting them in the cloud, keep them in your data center. But the vast majority of your operations and your capability are likely well suited to operate and run in the cloud for all the previous reasons, you know, uh, agility, velocity, capacity on demand, you know, all those things like that. So it's a, uh, you know, a, it, those were all the considerations, same considerations when, when I was looking at it back when I worked at the agency are the same considerations we looked at and business needs to consider and look at today as they move on ahead. Okay. Yeah. And I think what you, we, as we gone back and mentioned earlier about the, the, the space and the government investment in that and now how it's turned into commercial companies and we had that, that that point where you mentioned that basically anybody with cloud can literally jump on and start their own business and you know do yeah. very well for themselves right. um, without having to procure any of their own infrastructure. Do you think now with the COVID situation, everybody's, of course, we, we're seeing a massive change because of the cause of it, but mm-hmm. I think there is also some great possibilities to come out of it for businesses to restart fresh renew and bring them bring their technological or bring technology into their their business processes uh, a lot faster a lot quicker by using yes, cloud ab- absolutely uh, again it, it doesn't matter what what it is the fact is is that when not you can get into the cloud and begin and do development and do it very quickly and for very cheaply rather than having to stand up an, an entire other environment right so uh, figure out what goes on have that growth right so what what's the famous saying uh, start fast, fail fast, uh, succeed faster, right? Okay, so, and basically that's what it allows you to be able to do, right? You can do do re- very rapid uh, innovation, very rapid trial and error, come to a, a, an outcome, and then continue to mature and grow that, uh, you know, as, as time goes on uh, extremely quickly. And as it as it matures and becomes a more mature thing, maybe you want to go back and reassess, okay, do I keep it in the cloud here or do I move that to my own data center, right? But, but in your own data center, I've got to get capacity. I got to, you know, it, it's a long haul to be able to do these things. I've got um, all these roadblocks that are in my way to be able to do these things. And so, you know, that, that, that innovation speed uh, I, I, is just something that, uh, that is, I think, so key and the key attribute that the cloud brought and enabled in mm-hmm. what's going on in, in technology today. Yeah. And I think, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, for yeah. those people that are aspiring to start their own businesses yeah. or even transition over, um, you know, I've spoke to a few pharma companies recently that we've onboarded as customers and they're exclusively cloud. You know, they've yeah. got no uh, infrastructure what themselves whatsoever. Right. They've got yeah. labs, but everything's right. in the cloud and they're dispersed across around the globe. They're working in different yeah. laboratories around the world and they're collaborating and they're making the best use of the cloud environment, um, as you said. And if they yeah. need to scale up, they can scale up. If they need to scale back down, they can scale down. So that flexibility is there. Yeah, it, 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 allows, it allows business to focus on their core, mm. what's core to the business. And not so much on all these ancillary things, yeah. you know, on the side and things like that. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just wanted to come on in because we were talking about, uh, we're obviously talking about security on premise, some of the reasons why yeah. the CI decides to to take a cloud, uh, adopt with cloud and various other things. And I think when we think about um let's say malicious actors as we call them and maybe there's different terminologies for them whether they're state whether individuals we always think of them being external to the organization so there's somebody Mm -hmm. from the outside that's trying to get into our environment trying to you know take information from us um but there of course there is always that threat of the the person inside right yeah so the the internal the, the inside the threat um and one of the things that come up in the discussion was about the whistleblower incidents that we've had over the years and, and what's your opinion and your thoughts around uh, that? I mean, of course, a lot of information came out. Some of it was um, very, very highly sensitive, but how do you, mm-hmm. how do you see that from being a former yeah. CIA cybersecurity yeah. director um, in these, so, in these things? Yeah. So, uh, so I'll tell you, so, so two things, one, let's start with what's important, which is mm-hmm. the whistleblower act in the U S and the ability for whistleblowers to, to call file, get listened to, and with follow through through the IG processes and things like that is absolutely essential, right? Because it, it 
it helps to prevent uh, malfeasance on the part of, of organizations, whether intentional or by well-meaning individuals that have just sort of veered off the path where it's going to be. So the whistleblower and the whistleblower act itself and whistleblower protections are absolutely critical. Okay. But the references you're making, like the Vault 7 things and things like that, that wasn't a whistleblower. That was somebody who was intentionally, I think, trying to do damage because you don't need to steal all the information and post it out for everybody to see in order to blow the whistle. Okay, that that's just not how you go about and you do things. All right. Okay. Uh, and so, so for those people, uh, that, that's really um, uh, that's that's tantamount to you know somebody going into um, you know, uh, Coca-Cola stealing their secret formula and posting it outside because, you know, they just, they said that, uh, well, it's unfair that Coke has a market advantage and I don't think that's fair and, and it's anti-competitive, so we're going to post their formula, right? You know, okay, so great. If you think Coke has done something wrong, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Uh, you know, you, there's ways you can deal with that, okay? But you don't have to damage uh, the organization itself in order to to do these things. And that's what the 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 stealing and theft of information uh, uh, had done right it it was an unnecessary action in order to blow the whistle and i think it was done for other reasons mm -hmm. uh, not not as for the putative claims of of being a whistleblower so mm -hmm. yeah and i think um you know we talk about these high profile incidents yeah. um but You've consulted for companies when you work with Accenture. Yep. Now you're, you're you're doing your own mm. consultancy work as mm. well. Um, there is always a need to protect that information internally oh, and the measures that yep. you put in. So the lessons yep. learned yep. transfer into business, even into your own personal life as well, about two-factor authentication, about password protections, mm. all of these different things um, that need to be accompanied or facilitated with. And I always also raise to my customers as well is that, Look, you know, don't think about the external threat all the time. You need to take precautions and measures about the internal threat, about where you can classify yeah. data, who can get access to it, you mm. know, what's the leakage of data, um, what the consequences could be. So, I mean, that's really, you know, it, it, that threat does exist there and, and yeah. choosing your technology is, is important. Yeah, it, it really is. I, I'll, I'll tell you that from a cybersecurity perspective, uh, you know, my, my, my view is that is that the adversary, the bad guy, they only want two things, right? Okay, they want do your data. You know, they mm -hmm. want to steal it. They want to they want to uh, destroy it. You know, ransomware. They want yeah. whatever it's going to be. Uh, you know, that they want to do. They want the data. Okay, and and they want control, right? So I want to implant something in your environment that allows me to take over your networks and your systems, things like that, at the, when it's to my advantage to be able to do so that goes there, right? That's what the adversaries really want, okay? Those two sets of actions. Uh, and so I really think that as, as companies and, and, uh, and uh, governments and everybody else thinks about it, we need to think in terms of what I call data-centric security. In other words, think about how am I going to protect the data first and work my way out and in, in, in the scheme of, of security protections, not not, not uh, the uh, the uh, moat and castle model that had typically emerged, you know, from a few years ago, where I try to prevent people from getting in and uh, and doing it. But once they get in, I, I call it you, you, once you get in, it's a soft, chewy middle, right? So I can run amok and do anything I want once I finally got in there, right? So you have to think about how do you build your systems for the future that harden it from the data out, all right, and and make it and make it real tough. I'm not, you know, these other the the other mechanisms to prevent from getting in are extremely important. But if I haven't got the data hard on the inside, once they get in, you know, uh, that that's, you know, all the major um, the data losses have resulted from that type of environment and how that was built. So that's what that's what people have to begin to think about. OK, data centric security is where they need to really focus their energies, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I read an article, I think yesterday or day before as well, that um, the Central Bank of New Zealand had a breach uh, with another third-party application, file hosting application. Um, and then potentially the blame game starts about, was it a human yeah. error? Was it actually a patch? Was it, <laughs> it's a minefield, right? Who knows? Yeah, but, exactly, um, yeah. Um, when these things but, but, happen. But, but imagine having hardened your data, Mm. So that if that were to have occurred, it would have made it much more difficult for anybody to take advantage of the information itself, right? So, uh, so if the only data that I can exfiltrate from an organization is encrypted, okay, because that's the only way I can get it out of the organization, 
okay, great. What use is it? With I don't have the keys and other things like that. See what I'm saying? So, so uh, you know, th there is no absolute security. Absolute security is absolutely impossible. <laughs> it's one of my other favorite sayings. Um, but um, uh, but the reality is is that when you think about it and you design understanding that the adversary's objective is your data. I think that changes a lot of the approaches that people need to take and how you build and design systems for the future. I mean, ultimately, this is a lot about what zero trust is kind of all about, right? It, it, it says, okay, how do I minimize Paul's access to only these systems and only this, the, this amount so that if you were a bad guy, insider or outsider, the only damage he can do is here, okay? He can't do anything else over here, right, type of thing. And so those types of models have got to mature and get much tougher. And going back to our encryption discussion, it, Strong encryption is a critical part of data protection, absolutely without without fail. Okay. Mm. In fact, all data should be stored encrypted and moved encrypted at all times. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, and I know that you know a lot of companies trying to put extra measures and controls on data for classification. Mm. I mean, it's been around for a long time, but yeah. you know, it's a bit of a missing map. It's hard. It's hard. It's not easy. You know, how do we classify certain documents so people can get access mm -hmm. it where it doesn't interrupt their workflows. They don't need to go and get permissions for it. it needs to be released or, or whatever that may be. These internal processes, how can we make it streamlined and smooth, but still, you know, label the, the kind of level of security want, we want for certain levels of, of yeah. classification. So it's certainly a challenge for, for us going forward as well to, to try and understand how we can help in that area. But um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting field. And um, I think just to wrap up, because I think we've got like five yeah, or ten minutes sure. left. But um, how have you? I mean, how have you seen the COVID situation evolve? I mean, I know it's just everyone's talking about it, but there's okay. There's negative sides, but as we mentioned earlier, there's positive sides coming out of that as well. Um, what's your own uh, feeling and situation coming out of that? And how has it impacted you? And, and what do you look for the future in 2021? I mean, you're doing your own consultancy. Uh, thing. So, how is that working for you? Yeah. So, I I would say uh, that, uh, that the impacts of COVID uh, have been, I, they've been profound. You know yeah. this, right? Uh, on everybody, I, I think that it's been particularly difficult on uh, on the healthcare workers and things like that. As we know, that's the direct impacts. But it's also really, really hard on families with children at home, right? When when they when they can't go to school and they can't go to the park and they can't do this and they can't do that, uh, you know, it really makes it a very difficult for people to both look after the kids in their house and do their jobs because they can't go to work and so they all have to work from home and things like that. So I, I think that that it it has been really tough on them. Uh, I think that there will be some really long-lasting effects uh, from this uh, around. Uh, you know, uh, do we really need? You've seen the articles, the Wall Street Journal had a big section on it uh, what a couple of weeks ago talking about you know, what's the future of, of commercial real estate right yeah. so uh, you know and and, and how, what's the future of work uh, as a result of covid uh, so many people have found that I can do this at home like you and I are chatting here on the you know on the, on zoom right now uh, that uh, that uh, do they really need to be in the office to get, get their work done and and what 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 has happened is is that uh, remote work was already taking off, you know, particularly here in the U.S., yeah. right? And I, I'm assuming in Europe and other places as well too. Uh, and all this did was accelerate what was a five year trend and compress that down into a one to two year trend, right? It just it just said, all right, this is real, and and how do we make this work? And how do we uh, how does technology enable this, uh, you know, to to happen? And so you'll see some big effects, I think, on uh, on, uh, on on real estate, uh, which means you have big effects on roads, big effects on, you know, parking, uh, you know, do we really need all those things like that? Uh, you know, those are the things that, uh, that are going to have some really long lasting uh, outcomes. Um, I'm hoping we get back to school in person everywhere, uh, simply because I'm not sure remote learning works as well as people would like it to. Uh, I think uh, learning is much more effective in, uh, in a classroom environment. Uh, in fact, I think there's a lot of evidence to support that. Uh, you know that 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 perspective, um, you know, and those things, and then and then for me, uh, as we had talked earlier before we got kicked off, I'm actually looking forward to be able to travel again, yeah. right? You know, go someplace, <laughs> but, but but travel will be affected. Uh, I I don't know uh, when I was uh, when I was growing up, you had to travel with your passport and the you little yellow shot record, right? You, so whenever you went anywhere around the globe, you had to present your shot record as well as your passport to the immigration authorities so they could validate that you had all the immunizations that were required by the country you were coming into. 
And I think you see that coming back. And in fact, I know, I think even in Europe, they're already talking about, right, instituting that you have to carry the, whether or not you've been immunized by, uh, you know, got your COVID vaccine or things like that. And I think you'll see that just come back into, into four, right? So people uh, want the confidence that when you're traveling, you have all the appropriate necessary, uh, you know, vaccinations, and then that will begin to open up travel, right? Uh, I, I wish the uh, immunization was going faster. Uh, that would, I think, build a lot of confidence across the board. Uh, I'm very worried about the uh, about the over uh, too many people are fearful of the immunizations for for because you know bad news sells much better than no news, which is everything is great, you know. So the fact that four people out of how many millions have had an allergic reaction on the entire planet is, but you know, the only all they hear is you know allergic reactions, things like that. And so I'm hopeful that we can get uh, get uh, the vaccines distributed, people uh, immunized, and then I'm also hopeful that this enables us to have uh, leverage that into uh, immunization protection for a lot of other things that that previously we were having a difficulty dealing with as a society to help us go from there. So, yeah. long-winded answer to your question, but you know, no, no, it was good, and I because it gave me yeah. a bit of food for thought yeah. and that, to yeah. pick something out there which is is been noticeable to me is that we talked i just mentioned earlier about pharma yeah. companies but yeah. i think what covid's done is actually flushed out a lot of deficiencies in healthcare systems around the world mm-hmm. um about the way that they handle data and deal with data yeah. and things like that and i think here's a chance for them to advance or review you know, the way that they they can collaborate, potentially use yeah. cloud technology, for example. Oh, right. Yeah. I- ideal for this, yeah. right? In fact, many of them were doing that mm. precisely to do their analytics. Yeah. So, yep. So, uh, and in fact, that's, a, that's, that's where the power comes. It's the intersection of these enormously valuable technologies to solve human problems, yeah. right? Okay. That's the power of all this technology that's emerged now. Right. Mm. So, yeah. Um, across the board. Fantastic. Okay, Gus, I thank you very much um, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it and you taking the time out. Hey, Paul, thank you. And that is all for today's episode of Under Control. You can find links to all our social platforms and to our guests in the episode description. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. Join me again in two weeks' time for the next episode. 